Ephesians 6 uh, is where we're at, verses 17 through 20, what, what we'll be focusing on. And, um, you know, as I prepared for this and thought about this, one thing I'm glad that I prepare early because this week, uh, though I have gone through the motions, that's about what it's been. Uh, it's odd when your clock is on the other side of the world and uh, you're, you're up and moving when you're supposed to be sleeping. It's supposed to be sleeping when you're up moving or whatever. It's, it's just an odd thing. And so if I say some weird and offbeat things today, it's probably just jet lag. We'll, we'll call it that and move on, okay? But right now I feel pretty good, pretty energized. So um, Ephesians 6, verses 17 through 20. And I want to talk this morning about three significant things that I see coming together at the end of this passage on the armor of God. First is the Word of God. We see it in verse 17, the second part. And we see that it is the sword of the second thing, which I think is primary over these two things. Okay, It's the sword of the Spirit. So as I see the way the passage ends, when Paul's bringing the whole passage to an end, Paul emphasizes again that this is the armor of God. This is not your armor. This is not my armor. We don't choose what we have to defend ourselves in the great spiritual war that's going on all around us and that we as Christians have enlisted to be part of. God protects us. God has given us an armor. Beyond that, He has given us His very Spirit. And in the Spirit, we receive the power of the Word of God and the power of prayer. Two very powerful weapons against the forces of darkness that surround us. Now, often in the traditional way of thinking, and even in my thinking, before I started saying this, we kind of end the armor of God discussion at verse 17, at the sword of the Spirit. Nobody that I know of in VBS cut out a, uh, like a little bubble with little dots, like the, and it was a prayer. Nobody did that, did they? It's, it's, the, it's the helmet, it's the breastplate, it's the belt, it's the shoes, it's the shield, it's the sword, and end of, end of story. If you got that, you're good. But that's not what Paul says. Look at the passage. Praying at all times. So prayer is connected to the armor of God. Why? Because the Spirit is superintending the fight that's going on in this world with the soldiers and the army of God against the forces of darkness. You cannot, I cannot win our daily battle without the Spirit of God. You can't believe enough, you can't know enough, you can't uh, say enough, you can't refrain from enough. You will lose without the Spirit of God. I will lose without the Spirit of God. The moment I begin to fight in my strength, I'm defeated. The Spirit of God superintends the battle that's going on, and two things that come out of His ministry is the Word and prayer. Now, I liken it to a battlefield. My part of the state of Mississippi, from about Meridian North, during the Civil War, was spared for the most part. Mainly because there's not much there that Sherman wanted. <laughs> but there was another reason it was spared. And his name is Nathan Bedford Forrest. Forrest is known for many things. He was probably one of the greatest horseman, and one of the greatest battle leaders that this nation has ever known. The key to winning the battle for him was not size of force. 
not military artillery. The key to winning the battle was he was quick, he was decisive, and he moved in the battle formation to keep his flank covered at all times. You never surrounded him. They called him the fox. He could not be trapped. He could not be entangled. He could not be kept to the side so that the attacking force might get to the heart of the cities he was defending. My hometown, Columbus, now brags and, and should, rightfully so, that we have the most antebellum homes standing in the nation. In one city, in one place, we have the pilgrimage each April. As a uh, fine representative, I hope, of that fair city, I would encourage all of you to go spend money there in April. I sound like I'm, I'm publicizing the city, but it's a wonderful thing. And you can tour homes from the 1820s and the 1830s and the 1840s. And you know why you can do that? Because Forrest protected Columbus. The main thing he did in his fight, again, was not number of troops. It was not artillery. It was quick. It was decisive. And he never allowed the enemy behind him. Now, why was it important the enemy not be behind him? His main defense was to communicate back his position and the position of the enemy. He could hold them at bay for a while, but he needed reinforcement. And as long as he could get communications freely to the main army, he was safe. He was a forward point on the sword, in a sense, in defending. And he knew communication was number one. If I can communicate back, I can get reinforcement. We can protect. We can survive. We can sustain. I would tell you Grace Fellowship needs to be the same way. Prayer is one of the weakest points at which many of us operate, and it is the most important piece of our battle armor. Communication. Communication in war has always been important. From the time we ran messages from the front to the rear, to horses, to now the advancement of drones, information on a battlefield is key to winning the war. And calls for help are necessary if we win. And we need to be in constant communication. And how is it that we communicate with God? What device do we have? No walkie-talkie, right? What is it? What? Prayer. Some of us are so weak at it, we're scared to even say it. <laughs> it's like, uh, I don't really think I want to say prayer. Because if I get real honest, I haven't prayed in weeks. Months. Believe it or not, many Christians right here, would, if they were honest, would have to say, I can't remember the last time I prayed. I, oh, I remember sitting at a table. Food was in front of us. We had guests at our house. I felt kind of obligated to mouth some words so that I looked religious. But the last time that I knelt, laid, sat, stood, me and God talking, I don't remember. In that condition, we need not wonder why we're losing. Because the power to win the war is not in us. 
is not of us, I should say. It's not of us, it is in us, and it's the Spirit of God. Prayer is not a sideline issue. Prayer is a frontline issue. Whenever you know yourself to be in the middle of a war, communication is vital. And so I want to kind of bracket the the five-part series here on the armor of God by saying, we started out saying God's armor is the point here. God is the point. God wins the war. God protects us. It's not our own strength. And I'm saying here, our communication with God is vital to the daily war. If we're not communicating daily with God in an intimate relationship, then we're not winning the war. We may be making modifications, moral changes, but we're not Christian without Christ and the Spirit of Christ. Does that make sense? I'm afraid that what a lot of us call Christianity is morality. It's being good. It's following the rules. It's reading a Bible for the sake of checking it off a list. It's coming to church because that's what good people do. It's giving money to, philan- to, to philanthropy. The, the jet lag almost got me, or my lack of a swift tongue. I almost said something I shouldn't say. But the philanthropy which we take part in, the good giving that we take part in, is often motivated by a desire for us to be good, to look good, to act good. So Mama and Papa say, He's good. It's not motivated by true Christianity, Christ-likeness. Because it's not connected in any good, any good way to the Spirit of God. A lot of what passes as Christianity in Aniston, in the West, is morality. Paul knows nothing of the sort. He doesn't recognize any of that. He says, if you're a Christian, you're in the middle of a war. And if you're in the war, you need prayer. And you need the Word of God. If you don't have them, you will be cut off. And you will die. There's no hope for you. There's no hope for you. So let's look at this deeply. And really look at how serious Paul is about the Word and prayer. We talked about the Word last time. We talked about, remember our hands? You never can forget about this verse about the Word of God. If you have your hand, you should be able to look at your hand and see it. You're to hear the Word of God, right? You're to read the Word of God. You're to uh, memorize the Word of God. You're to study the Word of God. And the fifth one, most important, what separates you from almost every other animal is you have an appendage that opposes the others, a thumb. And so, if I'm holding on to the Word of God with hearing only, then it's really wimpy. I'm barely hanging on to it. I barely have it involved. The more fingers I put under it, the surer my grasp is until it's balanced well, but it's not, it's easily taken away, right? I've heard the Word, I've read the Word, I've memorized the Word, I've studied the Word, I've got it balanced, it's not going to fall out of my hand, but it's easily snatched away. What keeps it from being snatched away? Meditating on the Word. Now, with all five of those, we have our hands, our spiritual hands, around the source 
one of the sources of the work of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we talked about the fact that without those five things being regular disciplines, we're weakened and our, our armory is empty, unfortunately, as Christians often, isn't it? I mean, if we're honest, often the only verses God can ever pull out, God the Spirit can ever pull out of us are John 3.16, Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. Those are good things. But as I said, when you're in the middle of a fight against materialistic desires in your heart, John 3.16 is a good verse, but it's not adequate. Your mind is not being transformed in that area at that moment by the work of the Spirit. See, we think of sword, we think it, that's ours. But I see, and I think what Paul's saying is, the sword of the Spirit is in the mind and heart of the believer, so much so that when needed, the Spirit grabs the sword that's needed for that day's battle and sticks it into the hand. If it's not in you, He's grasping at straws. He's not limited, you're limited. Sanctification, remember, practical, everyday sanctification is a work done by the grace of God in your life so that you work to become more like Christ by His grace. It's synergistic in a sense. If you're not working in sanctification, it's not working. You're not becoming more Christ-like. Okay? So, you're in the middle of the daily fight and the only sword at your disposal is a verse you memorized at 5, and that's it. It's John 3.16. That's all. It's a great verse, but it doesn't carry the day when the temptation is in front of you. So I encouraged you last time, remember, to memorize Scripture. And I gave you uh, my, my plan, which is the fighter verses. John Piper has developed for you a resource, a notebook of fighter verses. They are specific to sins that all of us deal with. So that they're in us and around us and we know them. And when we face the temptation, you'd be amazed once you've started doing it long enough, the Spirit will grab one and stick it in your hand. Are you ready for the fight? I encouraged you to read, right? And I didn't just encourage it, I gave you a specific plan. This year, uh, this, this week, yesterday, I haven't read today, but yesterday I finished up Matthew chapter 4 for the second time. So in this year, I will read through the entire Bible, the New Testament twice, the Psalms twice. Reading four chapters a day, basically. Four little chapters a day. And you can carry that much of the Bible in your heart, in your mind. It saturates you. It changes who you are. It changes the way you think. It opens your mind to the Spirit of God. So we talked about all those things. I want to talk a little more about the Word of God and then transition into prayer. So we're looking here at verse 17b. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, not Lagos, not the written Word. I said last time, the Word here is Ramah, and it is a spoken Word. So it's the preaching, the speaking, the, 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 the Word that's powerful in this situation is a Word carried through you. To the world. So you need this. And the example, remember, was Matthew chapter 4. Jesus being tempted in the desert, quoted to Satan himself very specific Scripture to defeat him in the battle. Three times he's tempted by Satan, and three times he answers with texts from the Old Testament. 
quotes them word for word. Right? And so that's, that's what I think Paul has in mind here is the battle that's going on between us and the spiritual war, war that's going around us. And our engagement in that often is us speaking the Word of God into our own lives, into the lives of others, speaking. Not giving our opinion, giving the Word of God. Your friend comes to you and his wife just committed adultery and confessed it. He doesn't need to know what you think. He needs to know what the Bible says. He doesn't need to know you say, love your wife. He needs to know that you say, I love you. And listen, here is a help, a bomb to your soul during this betraying time. You can't win the war with your opinion. Satan could care less. He's heard all your opinions. He has a rebuttal for every opinion you come up with. What he cannot rebut is the Word of God. So when Jesus, the Son of God, being tempted face to face with Satan in the desert, he didn't even give his opinion. Turn this stone into bread. Jesus didn't say, well, you know, I could do that. It has been 40 days since I ate, and you're right, Lucifer, I mean, I'm very hungry. I think I could do that, but I'm going to choose not to. Because I just think it would be better for me if I didn't do that. I feel better about myself if I don't do that. Um, I think I'll go with that approach. Thanks for the offer, though. He doesn't have that conversation with Satan. Satan says, turn these bread into stone. Jesus immediately sees he's being tempted, and he immediately says from Deuteronomy, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. Immediately, the attack stops. Why? Because there's no rebuttal. When you're in constant warfare, your opinion does you no good. You need solid, sound Word of God in you. So we talked about that. But, but what about this word is so powerful? Which is the Word of God. So what makes the Word of God so powerful? This is revolutionary. I want you to get this. It's powerful because it is God's Word. I know you came for more than that, didn't you? Hey, come on. No, it's enough. It's powerful because it's God's Word. What makes God's Word more powerful than my Word? It's God's Word. It's not your Word. God's Word created all things. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did He create it? He spoke and it was. He spoke, and it was. He spoke, and everything that we cannot see, and everything we can see, Hebrews 11 tells us, came into existence by His Word. If you take, and I know we've done this before, but if you take a thimbleful of material and convert it into pure energy, you will not live to tell tale of it. It will blow you up. The power released from a small atom is big enough to take down an industrialized city. We've seen pictures of it, have we not? 
And there is a country, a little island country in the Pacific, still recovering this day from two of those in 1945. The power in what exists is there primarily because God's Word is powerful. Everything that we have in this world that we see is information. You and I are information. Do you know that? The DNA studies being done right now, they're pulling out the chains of DNA from these monkeys. And you know what they're finding? It's all information. It's all words in cells that communicate and tell the body how to develop and how to act. God did all of that with a spoken word. He didn't lift a hand. He didn't raise his foot. I envision him sitting in perfect peace saying, let there be light. And light filled the universe. Let there be dry ground. Let there be herbs that spring from the dry ground. Let the seas be filled with sea creatures and let the earth crawl with creeping things. And it all was. Why? Because of His Word. Nothing more, nothing less. It created all things. It sustains all things. The Word of God is powerful. It created all things and it sustains all things. You never get a sense of how God sustains you better than when you're in a 747 on a 14 and a half hour plane flight. I don't know when it hits you, but about seven hours in, I'm ready to go crazy. I'm looking around and there's just this tin can between me and 35,000 feet. Okay? I'm not very smart, but I know if this tin can falls apart, I'm not making it. Right? So you start feeling real vulnerable. Plus, the airplane food is disgusting, so you're hungry. And you can't sleep because everybody around you is trying to sleep on you. you know? And it's just, it's just really uncomfortable. And as I'm sitting there, about to go crazy, I just got up and started walking. And I made about 12 laps, and the, and the little lady said, Are you okay, sir? I'm like, Yeah, I'm fine, as long as you let me walk. If I had to sit down in that seat, there's going to be problems. You know? She's like, Okay, keep walking. Yeah, just and what dawns on me in the middle of that plane flight is I'm vulnerable. I can't fly a 747. If both crews die of massive heart attacks and they come on the intercom and say, hey, we need a volunteer, I'm, I mean, I might volunteer, but I'm not Jack Bauer. I can't fly an airplane. I sure can't fly a 747, right? I feel the vulnerable nature from which I exist. I'm way up flying, as my granddad said, if humans were created to fly, God gave them wings and feathers, son. I don't get on airplanes. I don't have wings and feathers. I can't fly. I cannot survive. There's no parachute. There's nothing. If this tin can, as I said, decides to give up, we're all gone. And I feel completely vulnerable. You know what's sad about that? I had to get 35,000 feet off the ground in a situation I can't manage 
to believe I'm vulnerable when the reality is without the Word of God sustaining me this very moment, I am a dead man. Colossians chapter 1 says He not only made all things, but He sustains them by the power of His Word. This is no ordinary word that God has equipped us with. I, I've heard people almost say, I wish God would have gave us something like a bazooka or a, or a cannon or a tank. I'm like, we've got the most powerful source in all the world. The Word of God in this battle that we fight every day. It created everything and it sustains everything. And He is called by His Word all who are saved. You are saved today because He, by His Word, called you. It is a powerful, creative, sustaining, saving Word. And in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, he took this Word of God and he put it in a book. And it's called the mind of Christ. He said, let this mind be in you also. Where did you get the mind from? The Word of God. The whole movement of what would Jesus do? I hate to say it's a waste of time, but it is a waste of time. It's not based on good theology. We need not worry or wonder what God would do in any situation that we need to know. Because He's given us His Word that we might know all we need to know. You don't need a bracelet that says WWJD. You need the Word of God. You need to be in it. You need to be memorizing it. You need to be hearing it. You need to be studying it. You need to be meditating on it day and night. Therefore, it transforms your mind so that your mind becomes more like the mind of Christ. So that in every situation, you know how to respond and react. This week I was having coffee with Tobin and he said, I was training a group of pastors in the Philippines and at the end I got a question. The pastor said, here's the situation, Pastor Miller. I pastor a church where a man in his teenage, late teenage years had a sex transformation. He changed from being a man to being a woman. He lived that way for years and now he has become a Christian. He, know, he denounces all of the, what he did. He stopped taking hormones to be like a woman, and now he's turning back into a man. But he had surgery to reverse himself, to make himself something. He's fallen in love with a girl in the congregation, a good Christian girl. They have a very godly relationship. They're headed towards marriage. Should we, A, baptize him into the church, and B, should we do this marriage? There's no verse in here, right, that says when you encounter someone who has changed sexes and they want to get married now as a saved person, do this. You know what there is in here? Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15? This is how Tobin handled it. He said, listen, is the man really repentive? Yes. Absolutely. He despises his sin. He's turned from it. He is a believer. Okay? Then you cannot require him to change back to being a man to baptize him. 
And I base that on Acts chapter 15 where Paul said, you cannot require someone to be circumcised to enter the church. If he is repentive, truly repentive, you can't make steps for him to come into fellowship. Okay? Second question, if the two of them really want to get married, under the grace of God, they have made this decision to live the life it's going to require of them, then Ephesians 5 tells us God blesses that, and He needs to be the man, and she needs to be the woman, and they need to live in matrimony together. What about the surgery? If He wants the surgery, help Him get the surgery. If He doesn't, leave Him alone. If you don't, you will add to the gospel. If you say, well, we almost accept you, but not quite, you need to go through this next step. You've just done what they wanted to do to the Gentiles. You have to know the Bible to give that answer because the specific scenario is not there. But the principles are everything you need to answer those things in life. Everything you need to answer the question you're trying to decide today is right here in principle. It just has to be known and applied. The Word of God is a creative, sustaining, calling Word. And it is a Word that's powerful enough to meet every need that you have. It's the mind of Christ. So when it says He gave you a one weapon, it's the only weapon you need. Okay? The second ammunition that we have, our protection that we have in this war, is prayer. So if we look at verse 18, He seems to transition to the second work of the Spirit. The first work being superintending the Word of God in our lives and through our lives. Secondly, we see we are to pray at all times. Pray at all times in the Spirit. You notice that? There it is again. Prayer is a work of the Spirit. You say, well, I don't pray much. It's a lack of the Spirit in your life. With the Spirit, you will pray. The more you are resigned to the Spirit, the more you will pray. The less you are resigned to the Spirit and given over control of your life to the Spirit, the more you'll make decisions on your own. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What about prayer do I want us to remember? I want us to remember the alls. They're given to us right here. Here's the outline. Pray at all times. Pray all prayers. Pray in all perseverance. Pray for all the saints. That's what Paul wants us to know. That's what the Holy Spirit wants us to know about prayer. Prayer is superintended by the Spirit of God. Romans 8 says the Spirit of God utters words for us that we cannot even know or understand. If He's praying on our behalf, then we are praying people. And so what are we praying about and what are we praying for? When are we praying? We're praying at all times. In, again, in Philippians, Paul says it this way, pray without ceasing. Here he says, pray at all times. There's no time at which you or I should be operating outside of the spirit of prayer. Ever. 
Because, see, we've limited prayer, haven't we? What is prayer? Prayer is eyes closed, head bowed, hands folded. That's prayer. That's not, that's not Paul's prayer. Paul was praying all the time. Without ceasing. He had constant communication line to the Father through the Spirit. You ever wondered why when you're at work, guys, you're, you're, you're going, you've had a good devotion in the morning, you had a good prayer time, and about lunch, right, it hits you. you. You're either really frustrated and angry, okay? Or you're overwhelmed by the work that needs to be done that you can't get done. Or you've dealt with the public long enough that you really see sin for what it is, and now you're vengeful like God and want to kill somebody. I'm not just being honest. Or, you're working in your cubicle minding your own business, and somebody comes in that forgot to get dressed this morning. They don't know they forgot to get dressed, but you know they forgot to get dressed because of the revealing clothes they're wearing have now become your problem. They got a problem, but now they're your problem. I mean, this is all going on by 11, 12 o'clock. You had a great devotion, a good prayer time, and now you're at work, and that's long gone. Fumes. Well, Paul would say, I think, hey, the same spirit that was in and around you when you were in your prayer closet this morning, he's right here. You just didn't choose to access him. You just got mad, popped off at your wife. It's her fault, right? I mean, she should know how to treat me by this point. I've trained her well enough, right? And then that voice says, were you in a spirit of prayer? Were you submitted to the Lord? Were you more about His will than your own desires at that moment? If you're in a spirit of prayer, you are submitted to His will. When you're not in that spirit of prayer at all times, that's the problem. Not God, not the lack of power to overcome sin, but our lack of submission through prayer to the Spirit which overcomes sin. See, the, the saying, I think we bought the saying, Dave, that says you're too heavenly minded to be earthly good. We've bought that, haven't we? We really believe that. We've all said it, haven't we? That dude, he's just too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. No, 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 no. We're not heavenly minded enough. So we're no earthly good. If we were praying without ceasing, our minds would be heavenly and we would be helping a lot more people. We would be helping ourselves and our families and our employees and our employers and our, just the people we interact with. We need to be more heavenly minded. How do we do that? Saturated with the Word and praying all the time. There's no situation at which, when I hear, and I think we've missed it in America for a lot of reasons, but I just want to give one, I want to pick on a hobby horse of mine. We're so worried about prayer in school. The problem isn't they say you can't have a corporate prayer in school. The problem is nobody there prays. We don't need to take back schools. We don't need to take back government. We need to take back our hearts to the throne of God through the Word and prayer. And the schools will change. 
And the government will change, or it won't, and who cares? We're not fighting flesh and blood anyway. I just spent a week on the ground in a country that's communist. And there's nobody at Watermark afraid to pray. In public. Talk with people about the gospel. In public. It's against the law. They're not worried about it. They have a higher law. I spent time with a pastor who goes to a, so- who goes to a soccer game at halftime. They read the charges publicly of people who have had church or prayed and they shoot them at halftime of the soccer game in mainland China. They weren't worried about what the government said they could or could not do. They worshiped their God and they served Jesus Christ. So, if we are in the same army, we should be fighting the same way. Not with flesh and blood, but with the Spirit. We don't need to be taking back political institutions, but rather implementing the strategy here of prayer and the Word. It's not our call to be politically right or left. It's our call to be Christian. Our party is Christ. Our body is the church. And she's equipped with a great warrior that fights her battles, the Holy Spirit. That's what we need to bow back into is prayer at all times. In all situations, at all times, all types of prayer. I quickly want to give you an old acronym. You you know it. ACTS. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Your prayer should be about those types of prayer. Prayers in the Bible can be divided up that way. You need to adore God for who He is in His true heavenly personhood. You need to confess your own sin and the sin of your family and the sin of your church and not the sin of everybody else but your own. And you need to thank God for everything in your life and you need to pray on behalf of everyone else. So often our prayers are limited because they're prayers about me only. Not about others. So so often our prayer is limited because we don't even adore God for who He is. We just want what He can give. So often our prayer life is, is damaged because we have sin mucking up the communication line that God is waiting to forgive. If we just confess. So often we're missing it, aren't we? in this area of prayer. We're not praying at all times and we're not praying all kinds of prayers. And a third all is that we're praying for all types of people, all saints, all the saints. We need to have an others mindset. Others not just meaning Western or Eastern, but everyone mindset. See, before I said what I said about people being shot at a soccer game, That didn't make the BBC. It's not on the AP Newswire. Nobody's telling you that's happening, right? I mean, you kind of know if you take Voices of the Martyr, but you don't even know all of it then, do you? Neither do I. So we can assume that right now, as we're sitting in comfort of air conditioning and hearing the Word of God preached, someone is dying for what we say we believe in the world. We need to be praying for the saints. People we know, people we don't know. We need to be warring on their behalf and on our behalf. 
constantly at all times in all kinds of prayers. We need to probably not be praying that they not be persecuted, but they be sustained in the persecution. That they receive the reward of a martyr. Because that's what they're headed to. And we need to pray for our own souls and the souls of our family and the souls of Grace Fellowship constantly, all the time, over every situation. So we need to pray at all times, all kinds of prayer, all saints. And notice how Paul puts himself at the end. He's in the middle of an imprisonment for the gospel's sake. He's suffering for the sake of others knowing Christ. And yet he thinks of himself lastly, and he only thinks about the gospel. My only ask from you, as Paul would say, my only ask from you is that you pray that I'm given an opportunity to preach the gospel, the mystery I've written to you about earlier. I just want to preach it. I just want to preach it to all these people that I have access to. I want to preach it in Caesar's own court. I want to preach the gospel. So ask God to give me that. Ask God to give it to me. That's what I want. I want to be given a word at the right moment so I can open my mouth and boldly tell this mystery of Jesus Christ to everyone I meet. Paul doesn't rely on his own abilities to communicate the gospel, but he relies on God. And he's asking them to pray for more of God's utterance, more of God's power, more of God's strength for him. We think about Paul as a giant that's not afraid of anything. I told you last time, I think he was cowering in his own shadow, scared, but relentless, driven by the Spirit, driven by the call. And so he says, I'm an ambassador there, an ambassador. We are ambassadors. We should be praying for utterance every day, just like Paul, asking others to pray for us, that we might be bold with the gospel to our neighbor, to our employees, to our employer, to the people we meet and have coffee around, wherever we are, that we would be preaching, living and preaching the gospel. That it would be authentic, that it would just be who we are, wherever we are, at all times, so that we might speak the way we all speak. Listen, a lot of times what God brings to you are situations that are easily missed. That's the point. I'm not fussing at you. I'm confessing with you. We have all the opportunity to be ambassadors, and we have it every day. The problem's not opportunity. The problem is being prepared and ready for the opportunity. So if we've got on all the armor and we have the sword of the Spirit and we have the prayer that's saturated with the Spirit, we can fight the battle. We can be offensive even, bold with the gospel. As we close the sermon, I just want to make um, a very real application, something we can all walk home with and hopefully remember to pray about. So I want to ask Tyler Harris if you'd come, come up. Tyler, uh, some of you know, is headed as an ambassador uh, to Uganda for a month. Uh, he's not taking his cell phone. Come over here. He's not taking his cell phone, right? No computers. So you won't have any contact with him, okay? But if we apply this scripture, 
we will talk about Him to our Father every day. He'll be thousands of miles away and He can't see you and you can't see Him, but you'll be right there with Him. And when He plays with orphans and who knows what else He does, you'll be playing with orphans, visiting the sick, preaching the gospel. You never left Grace Fellowship or Aniston, and yet you were really a part of it, what He was doing. So we need to pray for this saint all the time. And we need to be on our knees and in our daily walk thinking like an ambassador, just like he's going to be an ambassador. He's not just an ambassador for a month. He's an ambassador for Christ every day. For a month, he's going to do it in Uganda, and he's going to come back and be an ambassador here. And so I want to pray. I want to close our time. I don't have any announcements or anything that we got to say other than this. 